Welcome back to another edition of Sports Business Secrets. My name is Kevin Tarka. I am the founder of Creation Talent Agency, and I will be releasing a new podcast every single day for an entire year that is specifically designed to share the inevitable challenges of the sports business world and how to overcome them. I'm inviting you to join me in real time on my personal journey of representing professional basketball players, traveling the world, and continuously finding ways to battle through the adversity in this competitive industry. The goal is to share as many secrets as I can to help you along your own path to success. Welcome back to another edition of Sports Business Secrets. Today, I'm talking with pro basketball coach and good friend of mine, Tyler Gatlin, about the overall basketball journey. And more specifically, we're going to dive into pro hoops and what it's like to be a coach. Uh, For those who don't know Tyler, he is currently an assistant coach in South Korea for the professional team KCC Aegis. And Tyler has a very extensive resume, which we'll get into during the show, but started from a, a GM of an uh, ABA team to assistant in operations roles in the G League to even a little stint as a head coach uh, for the Northern Arizona Suns and player development role on WNBA team and several international experiences. And we can go on and on, but uh, without further ado, welcome, uh, welcome, Tyler. Hey, what's up, Kevin, man? I appreciate it, dude. This is awesome to get a chance to, uh, to chat. You're doing big things over there and, you know, this is long time coming, so I'm excited yeah. to be here. Appreciate it, man. So, so before we get started, I just want to fill people in on where you're at, because obviously, um, if, you're, if people are listening to this, they don't understand that I'm in the States here and you're over in Korea. So fill people yeah. in on where you are and, uh, and you know, what city you're in and kind of what it's like out there. Yeah, well, it's 10 in the morning, 1020 in the morning in Jeonju, South Korea, um, Sunday, November 1st. So we're a little bit ahead of you guys, about 15, 16 hours from the West Coast, 13, 14 hours from the East Coast. I'm not really sure how the daylight savings worked uh, on our it's side. It's actually, things, it's funny you but. said that. It's, it's strange. I noticed this last year traveling. There's like, there's a set, I think it's a seven day period where usually from New York to Europe, Central Europe, it's six hours. And like, I was always an hour off for a day when I was in Portugal. And I'm like, yeah. what is it? And then it's five hours. So anyways, I, I think it's one weird like hour in between. Yeah, well, we got it worked out. But yeah, I'm in Jeonju right now, which is our home city uh, that we have our arena and where we play our home games uh in in the korean league a lot of teams pretty much every team is based in seoul they'll have a dormitory a practice facility and basically team headquarters uh but what the kbl has done they've kind of put a mandate out for teams within the next three years by the 2024 25 season every team should have their home base at their home city so korea is a small country you can get anywhere by bus within four or five hours we're about two and a half uh, from Seoul. So some teams have already started that process of moving out of Seoul into their home cities. But uh, for the most part, eight or nine of the 10 teams are still based in Seoul. And that's where, you know, that's where your team operates out of. And, you know, practice days, work days are pretty long days where you'll start early in the morning. You'll have breakfast, you'll have weightlifting, player development, team video, whatever you may have. And then a little, break time down period so the dorms is a nice setup right guys can stay there get off their feet have their own private space and room and then practices typically start in the evening like four o'clock uh type range so you you really you get three meals a day you get all your stuff there on site and then you know then the players break up and go to their apartments or houses or wherever they may live um you know myself included so it's a cool setup. And then when you travel, you leave day before the game, 
uh, get to where you're going, get off the bus, have a practice, and then just get settled in for uh, however long the, the trip's going to be. That's awesome. Super interesting. And I definitely want to dig in a little bit more about the Korean League and, and kind of some differences between there and the States uh, and, and, and regular Europe. Um, but uh, let's, let's start from the beginning of your career. So I want to talk a bit about your coaching path and um, I guess wh where you, because you went to the University of San Diego and then where you really started. Like, did you always think you wanted to be a coach? And, and how did that career start for you? Because obviously, one thing we talk about on the podcast is a lot of people are either interested in being in the sports business world in, in, in some capacity, whether it's an agent, a coach, a, a player, you know, whatever it is. So, so tell us a bit about your beginning. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy because time flies, you know, it feels like yesterday uh, was going to to the USD women's team basketball practices, right? As right. a practice player, you know, you've got some experience in that uh, yourself. And, yep. you know, basketball has been a part of my life just from day one, basically, just from, you know, my dad, my friends, uh, playing growing up and, and taking it all the way through high school and doing some awesome events. It took me to cool places as a kid, you know, doing like a people to people sports ambassador program where I went to Australia and New Zealand, you know, hooping and, and playing. Um, so, you know, that, that was, it's in my blood, right? It's just a, the basketball bug has always been there. You get to college and, you know, don't know what your major is going to be. don't know what you're going to do, where life is going to take you. And uh, I knew I loved the game. So, um, you know, I actually, with the women's program, that was cool. And then there was an ABA team in San Diego called the San Diego Surf. And, uh, you know, I started what, going to those what, games. What a fitting name, huh? Yeah, right. Started seeing, uh, seeing that league and, you know, a little naive about it, but it was cool, man. It was uh, adults playing organized basketball with coaches, with, you know, some high-level players. And so I was like a, just a <laughs> basically a season ticket holder for the surf where I would go there and then you know, I actually did like a, uh, you know, one of my projects for a class was kind of interview, you know, somebody in, in the local business scene in, in San Diego. So I sat down to meet the owner of the surf. We had a really cool conversation, got to know a little bit more about the ABA. And, um, you know, basically when I graduated, it was time to, to pack up and move back to Texas. And, uh, you know, the funny thing was, you know, the ABA was on my mind. It was also the first year that the G League, the G League had started to get some track, you know, some traction going. It was the D League at that time. And the Texas Legends were not playing yet, but they were getting, uh, you know, that foundation built to start branding their team. So you kind of see that this thing's coming up in the D League, but there's these four ABA teams basically in Dallas. And the, the Dallas Impact happened to have an ad posted. They were doing a job search it was for the general manager position and yeah so I applied it was cool because it was like you know they were taking it serious it was like you know four school teachers basically that had kind of had this joint ownership for the Dallas impact and they were looking to get off the ground running they they had had you know kind of a dry run the season before played some games kind of got it going and you know, again, like being naive about the ABA, I think was a good thing for me because it put me in position to take it super serious, right? And, and really dive in head first to uh, that situation. So, you know, got to be hired by them basically, you know, which was really just a, a 
you know, glorified internship type of thing, you know, you kind of get, get the team going, right? We had little yeah. tryouts, we had all this stuff and, and it kind of culminated in this cool little showcase that we were able to put together, which had teams from three states coming in. Uh, we did the whole deal, the three point contest, slam dunk, uh, showdown, like all this stuff. And we were able to play this little tournament, which, you know, that was really cool because then you kind of get some legitimacy into it. Right. And I'm, mm. I'm helping out all I can do, like going to all the practices. So I'm starting to get on the court as well and work with guys on an individual basis, run some team drills. And so, you know, that combined with some youth coaching that I'm doing as well, really opened the door to coaching. But from a front office administrative standpoint, it was great because you really got to, you know, recruit players, sign them on an extremely limited budget but put a team together and we were able to have a good season. We never canceled any games. We uh, made a little run in the, in the playoffs, but um, there was another team in Dallas called the North Dallas Vandals and they were kind of the powerhouse, you know, um, we upset them in the playoffs. So their owner, obviously he was really salty about that. <laughs> and uh, he came uh, to me over that off season and was basically like, Hey, what can I get you to, to do to come over here to the Vandals? And at that time, about halfway through that season with the impact, I, uh, I started with the Texas Legends, you know, on an internship. And so I'm getting stretched a little bit thin. And basically, it was like, hey, Casey, you know, I, I want to keep this ABA thing going because it's cool, uh, but I can't do the administrative stuff. You know, and it, at that point, it was like, hey, I got you. And didn't want to let the impact guys down, you know, but they were they were having a tough time just in terms of paying the, the market fees and stuff like that. So, you know, it was a, a, a easy transition in a way where I had support from both sides, from the impact side, and then obviously being able to transition to the Vandals as a coach. Man, that's awesome. And, and it's actually, as you as you were talking, it's really interesting because, you know, you talk, talked about how you were kind of naive. And, and, you know, I think that if you say the ABA today, and obviously things have changed a lot, but you know, as someone coming out of college, you know, I guess things really have changed, but everybody wants that NBA job. Everybody wants that G League job. Everybody wants like that, that sexy title. And um, whether it was, you know, because you were a little bit naive or you were just, you know, smart enough to take advantage of that opportunity, which I know that you were, um, you know, you, you took the path that kind of allowed you to see all the different aspects instead of just being a, you know, an intern on the floor with, with, you know, with the G league from the beginning, you were like, Hey, I'm going to take this GM position. I'm going to take this position where I can recruit scout, you know, make sure everything's running correctly and get on the floor and kind of see everything. So I, I think that benefited you tremendously. And you got a huge head start above a lot of people because you decided to um, let's say in a sense, in quotes, take a step back before you took two steps forward. Right. Yeah. I mean, it makes total sense. And you're starting at, 23, 24 years old, um, you know, getting up every day in basketball is what you eat, sleep, and, and breathe, you know. So that was um, definitely, like, motivating. And you see the stuff with the Texas Legends that first season. It was Nancy Lieberman coaching the team. I was doing a, you know, a basketball operations internship, which was just kind of all-encompassing. It wasn't a lot of stuff around the team, per se. You know, you get to kind of go and watch practice, but – um, not really interact with, with much of anything in terms of players and coaching staff. But that summer was a chance to really make some leeway in terms of pro providing some value to the legends and 
uh, Eduardo Nahara was was hired to be the coach and just being there at the off-season workouts and starting to build that rapport with some of the returning players made it, you know, pretty uh, pretty easy to, to get to know Eddie and, and, you know, actually have a role with the team that following season. And then that kind of really developed over three years with, with Nahara to, you know, eventually being like his guy, you know, running the scouting reports for the team, you know, handling all the video at the same time doing administrative stuff in terms of, uh, you know, itineraries for the road trip, um, keeping, you know, keeping the thing organized and doing that stuff too. So you still get a lot of experience with the league because you're in communication with the league office, with other teams, the other team managers around the league, and you can really build relationships that way. And we changed our coaching staffs every year. So we had Hollis Thompson, I mean, excuse me, Hollis Price one year, you know, Charlie Parker one year, Nick Van Exel one year, Sagana Jock. We had all these coaches with NBA experience and high level college experience coming into our program to, uh, yeah, build relationships with. And Brandon Espinosa, another guy to highlight, you know, he was a guy that came in, you know, grinding. He was kind of Nahara's, you know, personal shooting guy throughout his playing career, you know, especially when he was in Dallas. And now Brandon's the head coach at Paul Quinn College and runs the Drive Nation EYBL program, um, you know, out of DFW. So, yeah, there's still a lot of, you know, Hollis is obviously in Houston with Calvin Sampson doing big things with their college program. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just been great to, to see how that thing with the legends unfolded. And when our time was up, it was, you know, a door opened with the Bakersfield Jam. And, you know, I felt like, hey, this is, you know, this is a chance to really now spread your wings and go into a new program, take out a lot of the admin stuff and really become a basketball coach. Yeah. And, and, and that's, I mean, that took a lot of time. That's another thing that people, you know, I think we talk about it a lot is that, you know, you, you have to be, obviously be patient. Everybody wants that instant gratification and, you know, kind of that instantaneous title for a coach. But I mean, you were doing, um, you, you were wearing many different hats for several years before you even got the chance to be just a coach. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so, yeah, I mean, that, yeah. that, that was a long, I mean, that was a long period of time. And then even, even after Bakersfield and, you know, at, at one point, which you can touch on if you'd like his, at one point, I'm pretty sure that you were the longest tenured coach. Was it in the entire G league? Or, yeah. You know, or, there's, there's, there's guys in the G league that, um, you know, on the front office side that have been there since I've been there, you know, the Brian Levy's and the Scott Schroeder's. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, from a coaching thing, you know, it's a, the G League's tough because it's a one-year deal, you know, every year, basically. And uh, to have done, you know, nine consecutive seasons from, you know, 2011-12 till last season, uh, you know, that was cool. I took a lot of pride in that and, you know, really being able to um, work with good programs, you know, put a lot of effort into the tryouts, which are huge, obviously, in the offseason. Mm -hmm you know, the draft prep, the stuff that goes into it and just keeping, you know, keeping being organized, having your stuff from all these seasons now. And it's a ton of data, a ton of information and uh, reports and box scores and all this stuff. You know, I've got a whole room full of just G League things now, you know. I'm glad you said that. So so on that topic, so what's one way that you personally keep all of your data organized? I mean, obviously, you you can talk about 
basketball data or relationships or a little bit of both, but do you, do you have a certain way that you keep yourself organized? Do you have a, you know, a contacts folder? Do you have Google drive? Like how do you, how do you manage that yourself? Yeah, you know, it's a little scattered, but obviously the technology has evolved um, over several years where we were doing things with DVDs. So, you know, mm -hmm, you've got mm -hmm. three, 400 DVDs of games um, from the G league early on. And, you know, some of that information now you can get on synergy and, a lot of the work is done for you by these programs like like Synergy, right. uh, like Sports Code, where where you can take stuff and make video files, and that's great. You know, you definitely have your your film stuff, you know, organized and sorted, and you know, based on the seasons, got stuff where I can pull, you know, training camp practices, or I can pull game edits. Um, you know, really simple simple to get that kind of stuff. And but the things that I really like are like the the practice plans and the game reports and the five game updates. And those are the things that I have, you know, definitely take a lot of pride in because that was what I was actually typing up what I was using, mm -hmm. you know, my analysis for. And so you can really go back and look at that stuff. You know, they're, they're word documents, they're PDFs. They don't take up a lot of space and, you know, you've emailed them out so many times that if there is a thing that I can't find, you just search your Gmail and you'll be able right. to find that attachment that you sent to somebody, you know, so many years ago and go back and look at it. So those are the type of things that do, you know, they help you, especially if you get kind of stuck um, trying to find a solution to a problem, you, know, you go back and look what you did, you know, two, three seasons prior to that and get the, uh, you know, get the juices flowing to, you know, to be creative. Yeah. Awesome. And so we've, we've already talked a lot about kind of coaching and your journey, but what, what is, so what's one thing that you think is a big common misconception about the coaching path in general or yeah, being a coach? Definitely. It's, uh, you know, and it's a tough one for me because I think a common misconception is that you can help everybody, you know, and that's something that I take a lot of pride in trying to help everybody, whether it's a player, whether it's an agent, whether it's people on, on your staff and in your, you know, in your organization, you know, there's a lot of things thrown your way. And you do want to want to be, you know, a guy that can help and and make people happy. Right. And so you, there's a lot of players, especially during the tryout period that are, you know, coming to you. And a lot of them are, are good players. They've got skills. They can, you know, they can they can get stuff done. They can make plays. Um, but you're talking about a very, very small number of spots and opportunities that are available. So, you know, it's tough. Right. You want to help. You want to be there. You want to get these guys in position to be successful, but ultimately it's not your call. And a lot of times it's not just one person's call. It's always a collective effort. You're trying to get the, as much information as you can to make these decisions. And um, yeah. And even, you know, even other coaches too, it's not just the players. It's a lot of times coaches are looking for an opportunity and a foot in the door and you, you, you want to help, you want to provide that for everybody. But um, yeah, even, you know, at being an assistant coach is one thing, right. You can, you can make conversation and you can start to develop some rapport with guys and, and give little projects and, you know, give feedback, which is always helpful. But even as a head coach, you know, you can't just bring in 10, 12 interns to your team every year like you'd want to do. Yeah, I love the way you phrase that. I, I learned that the hard way, I think, uh, the first couple of years as an agent, because it's very similar, is you, you want to try and you want to try and help everyone like, 
okay, I'm an agent and like yeah. everyone's reaching out to me like, you know, wow, you're really good at basketball. And like, I want to be able to, you know, hook you up and, and, and open a door for you and get you into this tryout and get you overseas. And like, then it, it just, I learned pretty quickly, like, wow, you know, there's so much out of control and so many different pieces to the puzzle that like, I, I can't help everyone. I just, yeah. I can't, you know, so, so you have to kind of decide where, where to spend your time and, and, and who you can help. And then those who you can't do your best, but just let them know, like, look, there's only so much I can do. Right. Um, yeah. you know, I, lo- I love the way you put that. Um, all right, cool. So fast forward now um, to the Korean league. I, I want to talk a little bit about that and, and just, um, you know, I guess more basketball talk of like how, you know, how the league is in terms of talent how it differs style of play from from European basketball or the states basketball. You've obviously watched basketball from all over the world. Um, so, so what what is the Korean league like? Man, it's a whole new brand of basketball, um, and the league is always evolving. You know, they do their their best. They're very mindful to uh, make changes to their league. They're quick to change rules. They're quick to change how they allow imports. Um, so, there's always adjustments going back five six years working with KCC as a consultant, you know, I've been able to kind of see this evolution of the league where in the past you had height restrictions, right? You could bring in mm-hmm. one import guard, that. one import big. They used to do a draft where, you know, every player that signed a KBO contract had to report to Las Vegas, had to go through the three, four day tryout period, scrimmage period, and then they drafted their 20 players. Um, now it's free agent signings, you know, uh, you can sign two, import players the height there's no limitations on height so every team signing more or less two American bigs uh, high level bigs NBA level bigs um, Tyler Davis is uh, is our um, import you know he's he's an awesome player he was out last year uh, recovering rehabbing a knee injury he was with Oklahoma City and um, so you know his market going into this offseason was you know a little bit uh, up in the air he wasn't sure you know stick around and wait for the NBA Europe wasn't really offering a ton of stuff money wise financially financially wise and uh, so you know he was one of our guys that we've been looking at for two three years from a scouting standpoint and you know bridging that gap you know with myself and you know our previous American coach uh, to give him a level of comfort to kind of take that jump you know and the financial incentives for him were good to come here so you know, Tyler Davis, and then we have Ricardo Ratcliffe, who played at Mizzou. He's a nine, 10 year vet, and he's been in Korea uh, more or less his whole career. So he's a, you know, a known commodity over here, you know, just a, an awesome guy, an awesome person, you know, super talented, big, strong body, runs the floor really well. And so that's kind of our one-two punch who I mean, we feel great about in terms of, you know, just providing that production that we need. Um, but in the KBL, it's it's not just uh, give the Americans the the ball and let them go to work. It doesn't right. it doesn't really happen that way because the defenses are very complex. The you know the trapping, the zones that they'll throw at you, um, you know the officiating. They you know they let it, they let you play. It's one of the most physical leagues that I've seen in terms of just a lot of contact and they can especially with the Americans they get beat up, um, you know, and a lot of no calls. And so you have to find that balance with your Korean players. Uh, and your Americans just both on both sides of the floor, the offense, the defense, the communication side of it, you know, it can be difficult. So your, your team translator pays, plays a huge role. And that guy has to be knowledgeable on basketball so he can help 
you know, help communicate my message to the Korean players, the Korean coaches message to the American players. And it, it really has to, you have to find that synergy. Otherwise, you know, it, it's kind of jumbled, right? You just have these possessions that can bog down. But in terms of the level here in Korea, it's good. Their national team is, has done really well. They've beaten China. They've beaten Japan. They have, you know, in the Asian, uh, you know, side of the world, they're, they're good. You know, they're tough team guys are, are strong players. They have good level of, of uh, talent. And, you know, they're, the future's bright. Um, you know, Ricardo, our guy, he's actually Korean citizen now. So he plays on the national team. Um, you know, but then when you look at it uh, in terms of, of, you know, projecting three, four years from now, they, they've got some challenges ahead because a country like Japan is producing NBA players. You know, they're, they're sending guys to, to American colleges to, um, you know, to develop and play G League, play talking about, you know, Yuta Watanabe and Rui Hashimura. Right now, there's there's not a lot. A couple Korean guys have gone to the G League, um, you know, with, with a little bit of success, but that's something from a grassroots level that, uh, you know, it's going to have to continue to build for Korea to stay in the, in the position that they are now, you know, in terms of a global scale. All right, guys, we're about halfway through this amazing interview with Tyler. This is probably about twice as long as my average podcast length, which which means you're getting about double the amount of gems and information and insight from an amazing guy, an amazing coach. So make sure you're taking notes. But I just wanted to throw in a quick little break partner shout out uh, to NeuroGum because every once in a while you need that extra cup of coffee to give you a boost. But right now you can substitute that for uh, gum or mints. And I use this stuff personally. It's amazing. It helps me focus. It helps me cut back on at least one cup of coffee during the day. So if you go to getneuro.com, that's G-E-T-N-E-U-R-O.com and you throw in the code NeuroKTA, you'll get a nice little discount. Again, that's N-E-U-R-O-K-T-A. You'll thank me later. Yeah, no, that that's... So in terms of grassroots, what is it? Uh, how different is it from... I mean, we don't have to dig into the USA versus overseas because we all know the business model is very different. But, you know, in terms of like a Barcelona, Barcelona B team that plays in two leagues down, like what's the grassroots or the development system like there in Korea? Yeah, I'm still getting a feel for it. We have in uh, in the KBL, there's a D league, right? So you have um, teams of seven or eight guys. Uh, every team has a D league team. These guys practice. Your Your total team has – you know, 14, 15 guys signed to a contract, another five or six D-League guys, um, and they play these D-League games. What's interesting in Korea is the military service, right? Every player, every citizen of the country has to go to the military for two years. So um, from your, your basketball team, you have to kind of plan that out. And, you know, when your best player has to go to military, they're going to miss a season and a half, Um and so trying to plug that gap, the, the military, when you do go to your service, that military team plays in the D league. So, and they're typically the best team, obviously, because you're getting the best Koreans, um, you know, so they still have a chance to develop and play and uh, keep, you know, keep sharp. But, um, you know, from a younger level, it's, uh, you know, baseball, obviously soccer, obviously are, are big sports. Um, you kind of see there, there are junior programs, there are colleges, uh, that guys can go play at university. Um, 
but yeah, overall the, the development um, from an individual skill level uh, isn't as highlighted as much as building that continuity and that, you know, that just tight knit group and, and all these players in the league, there's 10 teams and these guys have known each other 20 years, their whole life basically growing up. So every team knows every player, they're really close. And uh, that's kind of where it's at. You know, you, you, you bring some, we're, we're the only team that has American player development coach right now. Um, and a lot of that is in the off season, they'll send guys to the States to work for six weeks at, you know, in LA or in Miami or kind of, you know, that's where you do get some of this high level um, individual skills training, but overall as a whole here, it's, uh, you know, we do the three man weave drill for like 30 minutes a day in practice, just everything's about continuity and, and playing together. And, you know, we're, we're, uh, you know, I think we're ahead of the curve from a lot of teams in terms of putting in those skill sessions during the season. Um, you know, after the game yesterday, three guys, we went back to the gym, you know, we played at three o'clock, um, you know, and then by, by 7.30, we were back on the court, you know, shooting and doing some skill development with, you know, the, our best player was there and, you know, two guys that are, are developing rookies were there. So, um, yeah, they're, they're, they're wanting to get it. And I think as a whole, like I said, there's, there's definitely a, there needs to be a sense of urgency for Korea to stay where they are, but their physicality, um, discipline, you know, overall like size and, and dependability keeps them in good position to be a, a, a strong national program. Um, but yeah, you, you kind of look over your shoulder and there's Japan over there, you know, getting some big time guys. So, you know, I think uh, over the next couple of years, it'll be interesting to see how much uh, importance they kind of designate to that. Got it. Got it. And, and one thing that you also said in there uh, was just, that I caught on because I'm a numbers guy and and I think a lot of players don't understand that you know there's there's 10 teams right 10 teams two imports that's 20 total players right so if you're an American guy and you're saying yeah I'm gonna go play in Korea are you the top 20 you know top 20 in the, in the world that that's gonna be ready to go play in, in Korea it's like you know some people don't, don't really think about that oh well Korea is not like Barcelona or Milan or or you know, uh, teams in Istanbul. Well, no, they, there's, they have 20 people and they have good budgets and they're a talented league. So if you're not the best, you're not going to be there. Yeah, you're looking at the Jamil Warneys and Marcus Derrickson's yep, and yep. Henry Sims and top level guys that can play anywhere in the world. Um, and so it is, it's a, you know, that, that the pressure to find these imports is huge. I mean, that's what, that's where you feel the pressure because getting on the court, working with these guys, building their skill, um in season that's right up my alley you know but mm -hmm. I'm fortunate to have had that experience and understand you know this emphasis on we have to get the best possible player available to come in and, and play for our team that's great insight man so when you look back at your career path what would you say is one of the biggest challenges for you man it's um the G League has been awesome because there's challenges every day that you face. Yeah. Um, in Getting into the G League in the first place and <laughs> yes. then staying there, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. Getting in, staying there, um, you know, providing value to your organization. Those are challenges that are, that are constant. Um, for me personally, you know, just that path to being a head coach, you get a small taste of it with the Northern Arizona Suns, mm -hmm. get the interim head coach title, go through, the training camp have everything kind of lining up to 
let's get it going and let's have a great season to kind of just be thrown, you know, back into neutral. And, uh, you know, that was an adjustment, right? And we were able to have a successful season, had, you know, obviously an unbelievably talented basketball mind with Cody Topper come in. And, uh, you know, we worked together. We had definitely challenges along the way, but we were able to work together and, and uh, had five dudes get called up to the NBA, had a lot of success there. And then going to Stockton, you know, reuniting with Ty Ellis, who's my guy, you know, that's my mentor. That's, that's the dude right there, you know. And um, we had a, a first season, you know, we had Rico Hines on the staff. We had, um, you know, the Kings giving us a lot of love, which was something different from some other teams that I had mm -hmm. been with in the G League. And, uh, yeah, you know, that kind of culminated into a playoff run. Um, and at the same time, you know, the Coach Ellis got sick right before our first playoff game, you know, and it was super unfortunate because of the work that he puts into it every day. You know, he deserved that opportunity to, to lead our team into the playoffs. Um, but then, uh, you know, 11 o'clock at night, you get a phone call, hey, you're the acting head coach, you know, and cool opportunity for me, no doubt, you know, and then you kind of think, hey, man, this is the playoffs. This is going to be nuts, you know, but that preparing every day as a head coach, knowing what to bring to the table to our staff meetings, knowing what to keep in your back pocket for when that opportunity is yours. I think it served me well because just from a, just the butterflies standpoint, you know, I was much more nervous coaching a preseason game for the NAS Suns than coaching a playoff game for the Stockton Kings. So, you know, you kind of get that level of comfort when you approach every day as a head coach even if you're the associate head coach or the assistant coach. And, um, but again, you know, you get that taste of it and then go into this past season, kind of back to the assistant role and, and working with Ty every day in terms of, you know, Hey, how are we going to organize practice? What's our game plan? How are we going to do the substitutions? Things like that, where you can't get ahead of yourself. And that's, yeah. you know, that was where I had to keep reminding myself, you know, just, just uh, know what to say, when to say it, and how you can provide stuff for the team, but don't overdo it. Don't push your own agenda onto this team because it's coach's team. Let him coach his team, and I'm there in a supportive role to uh, to help us grow. And, you know, again, in terms of challenges, that was what I was weighing. Everybody's faced challenges this year, right? Mm -hmm. What's next? How are we going to keep this thing rolling? How is our careers going to go from here? And, you know, a lot of G League teams are looking for coaches right now, um, but they're also not making many moves. It's a really slow process. Yeah. And so when this opportunity to go to Korea came up, it was, if I do this, there's no looking back, you know? And so you jump right in and now, you know, I wouldn't change it for, for anything. This is an awesome opportunity here. That's that's awesome, man. All those experiences though under your belt are just, you know, as you said, kind of prepared you for the, that next level up opportunity, right? And um, mm -hmm. speaking of speaking of uh, Stockton and and uh, and Coach Ty Ellis, man, I'll never forget that. That was really the first, you know, when I when I went out there, um, you know, when when we were talking about Isaac, Big Isaac Nielsen, mm -hmm. um, you know, and and just the fact that you know, ties a relationships guy and you, you kind of built that relationship with him to be his guy. And with one phone call, he put all of his trust in me because you had that trust in me and our relationship was just, it was a really cool, 
situation to kind of, it was one of the earliest ones where I, you know, really saw that relationship at the high level of like, wow, you know, like this guy just got the head coaching job. And like within a few days, I was flying out there with a client and he was in the arena, putting him through a workout, you know, talking to me like we've known each other for 10 years. And that was just a really cool experience. And, um, you know, I think it it just, it just shows how much, um, you know, work that you put in to build the to build the trust in the people that you surround yourself with. So that, that, that's a testament to you too, but I'll never forget that, man. That was awesome. He's top notch. That's the kind of person he is. You know, he's going to be fully present and fully engaged in any conversation and in any interaction, whether it's a guy, you know, that's going to struggle to make the roster as a 15th guy, or whether it's, you know, the top, the top uh, two-way player that you have, you know, or an NBA assignment, he treats everybody equal he, you know, he puts it all into the, into what he's doing and it's all about respect, right? If, if he's coming into a situation with a mutual level of respect, you're going to get everything that he possibly has to offer and more. And then keeping those lines of communication open, um, you know, throughout the future, because you, me, coach Ty, we're just scratching the surface of, of where this game is going to take us. Yes. Absolutely, man. I experienced that firsthand, you know, with the whole, you know, it doesn't matter where the, where the player is on the, on the totem pole. I mean, shoot, I had, I was like, what, six or seven months into having my agent license for the first time ever. And, you know, I wasn't some big time NBA agent and here, you know, here he is working out one of my clients. So it was, it was a really cool experience. So, um, man, all right, we're, 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 uh, we dove into a lot already here, but just a couple more topics here. So you've been, uh, obviously being in Korea now and, and, and you've been around the world, you've been at so many different levels and, you know, we've, we've hung out at the final four in Belgrade and, um, you know, in the States. So what are, what are, let's say your top three favorite places you've ever been to? Um, I guess you can mix in both basketball and non-basketball if you want, but top three favorite cities. Here we go. Um, yeah, I mean, we're, we got the travel bug, Kev, you know, so the, do, the game's taken us a lot of places and, and then just personal experiences have taken us a lot of places where, you know, fortunate to see the world and, and different cultures and different areas and, and yeah, different way of lives, you know, all, all throughout things. So for sure, that Belgrade experience, man, you, it's really unreliable. It's from, from a city standpoint, from, you know, the action that was there, the, vibe that you got and and it's a basketball city right it's Mm -hmm. it's you know you you can hear the ball bouncing just walking down the street so being in there in that environment um obviously Luka Doncic playing in the final four Real Madrid winning the whole thing uh just great you know unforgettable experience um being in in uh the FIBA world world cup FIBA world championships as it used to be known uh in Barcelona was another great thing great opportunity went to um actually a couple different places in spain from from the round the group stage in grand canary islands to barcelona to a you know a a day scouting trip i was with the mavericks at the time to go to madrid and see you know see the france spain game see the finals in madrid with with usa and, and serbia um you know so as a whole spain's another country that just really has a, a you know, cool way of life, um, you know, friendly people. The language obviously with Spanish was a lot easier for me, um, just having, you know, having a, a better grasp of that language, being able to get by, being able to understand, to read, to communicate things, um, you know, which is helpful and, and fun when you can speak the language. In, in Serbia, people spoke English, it's fine. You can talk, right. you can 
have conversation. It was a lot better when you can actually speak the language that, that the people speak. Um, yeah, so, you know, another cool place. And then going back four years prior to that was uh, Istanbul in Turkey. Mm-hmm. You know, another just amazing city, the, the sights and sounds and um, hustle and bustle of that place. Uh, you know, it's it's very unique place in the world. Um, and again, you get to see Team USA play Turkey in the finals. Uh, you talk about a raucous environment. Um, you know, that was great. And, and those were extended trips where you get to spend a lot of time right, in place right. and, and really, you know, experience everything from, from the food to, you know, the entertainment. And then, you know, you talk about just a fun place to go and you mix in some basketball too was Lisbon, Portugal. Oh yeah. You know, and you've got guys that have played in Portugal, right? So it's a cool, it's just a really cool city, you know, um, by the coast, cool landscape, you know, everything's hills and up and down and, uh, you know, just a really interesting place in terms of if you like music, if, you know, if you like history and culture and castles and all these different things, um, you know, and getting to, to watch Benfica, they're, you know, one of their yeah. top clubs practice and, and meet their coach and be, be, you know, be there. So another cool place, but Hey, Seoul, Korea, man, for my first experience is, is amazing. And one more, you know, we went to Japan last year for the B league. So all the playoff games there went to Russia and Ekaterinburg, Russia for a month to train the women's team there. Um, so the game's taken me a lot of places and, and you get to at see that every place is unique and uh, special. And so just appreciating those opportunities is, is really the big thing. Man, those are some great spots right there. I, I'm going to have to come visit in Seoul because that's one place I have not been. So I got I to gotta start finding some, uh, some NBA caliber NBA caliber players for you. Soon enough, oh, soon enough, man. man. As soon as they lift this two-week quarantine thing, you know, it wasn't too Absolutely. bad, but kind of stuck in the apartment for two weeks with, with nowhere to go. Um, yeah, I can imagine. It was crazy, but hopefully, I think with in, in terms of the coronavirus and stuff like that, Seoul's ahead of the game. They, they really have done a tremendous job, um, you know, keeping the people informed and staying safe and um, – it's yeah we're I think as a whole the country here has has like I said done a good job we're fortunate to be in an environment where they are allowing fans to come to the games um you know people are aware of the situation obviously but taking the necessary precautions to um limit the the spread and it's uh yeah I mean you gotta obviously knock on wood and and continue to be diligent with it but here is um yeah, we're, we're fortunate for sure. Nice, man. Well, on this podcast, as we wrap up here, we like to give away one secret or tip or trick, hence the name Sports Business Secrets. Uh, so what is one secret that you have for somebody who wants to become a coach? One tip or trick along the way that they can do right away? Yeah, I mean, you can't limit yourself or your possibilities or, you know, you're not going to get mm. far, right? You have to be uh, open-minded and, and willing to make an impact. It can be the smallest thing that gets you noticed. Um, you know, the G League tryouts, I always try to point to those as a, a foot in the door, a way mm-hmm. to um, get recognized with, with the little things. Just like you tell players, you never know who's watching. It's the same with coaches. You never know who's watching. If you go in there with the go-getter attitude and you're able to, um, you know, 
a guy takes a spill and, and then all of a sudden there's sweat all over the floor and you know, you're right there on it with a towel, cleaning it up, you know, not looking for any kind of recognition. You just know instinctively, this is what I need to do right here, you know, and um, you're able to take over a basket on short notice because the, the G league coaches are being pulled in a million different directions during that time. And they got a, their GM calls them to, to ask about a player and you're doing, you're in the, the group uh, workout stage of this tryout, you know, and now the guy that who, who was leading the drill is gone, you know, not having a, a any kind of, of dip in, in the productivity at that basket, right? Those are the type of things where you, you get noticed um, right away and you're able to keep that conversation going beyond that tryout. Um, and just being able to, uh, to have a lot of, you know, be a Swiss army knife, right? Mm -hmm. Whether, whether, whatever you struggle with, put some time into it, whether that's video, mm -hmm. whether that's um, communicating to players during workouts, you know, whatever it may be, whatever kind of uh, is outside your comfort level, you know, go dive into it because you, you gain confidence that way. And that's going to highlight your strengths as well as uh, build on your limitations. Man, I hope the listeners are taking notes because that was those are some gems right there, man. Those are some gems. Well, this has been awesome, man. Before we wrap up, uh, I like to end things with a sports business lightning round. That I didn't give you yeah, any heads up on this. It. I, I nope. put you on the spot real quick. I'm going to ask yeah. you a series of rapid fire questions, and you just got to answer with the first thing that comes to mind. Ready All to right. roll? Let's do it. All right. Favorite color? Blue. Michael Jordan. Always go the team games. color. That's that's a that's a trick question because whatever team I'm with. I go with the team color. It used nice. to be purple. Before that, it was orange. So it's always the uh, I like that. Color. I like that. Uh, next one, Michael Jordan or LeBron James? LeBron. Favorite place in the world you've ever visited? It's easy. We already went over it, but just give one. <laughs> we'll, go, we'll, go, we'll go Belgrade because we're there together. Love it. What's something that you're really bad at? Oh, man. Uh, there's, a lot, there's a long list um, of things <laughs> that I'm not good at, but uh, – yeah, I would say, um, I would say, you know, painting, I don't know, drawing creative arts. Cool. Who are three people that have helped you tremendously in your life? Man, Ty Ellis, um, my mom and dad count that as one, obviously. And um, yeah, I would say Donnie Nelson, you know, he kind of gave me my start. Awesome. What's the best compliment you've ever received? Man, that, uh, just that, that I appreciate you, you know, that's always something that I take a lot of pride in. Nice. Coffee or tea? Coffee. If you could have a superpower, what would it be? Oh man, probably to be in two places at once. Nice. Uh, what's a talent you have that most people don't know about? Hmm. I would, uh, uh... So that's a tough one, man. Like I said, I have a, I have a basketball town, right? Uh, I'm a basketball, I'm a basketball guy, but um, I would say uh, I can read super fast, speed reading. There you go, nice. Yeah. And two more. Who, who would you? So if you could trade jobs with anybody for a week, who would you trade jobs with? Anyone in the world? Yeah, that's another good one. I would trade jobs with. Uh, I'd say Frank Vogel. Okay, nice. And last one. So if you could turn back time and talk to 15-year-old Tyler, what would you tell 
I would tell them, do what you love. Stay, stay with the game of basketball. Stay in the gym. That's a, that's a very key piece of advice is stay in the gym. That's awesome, man. I love it. Well, I'm sure all the aspiring coaches uh, and anyone that's listening uh, have a much better understanding of what's necessary to be successful now, man. Appreciate you sharing your knowledge and taking your time. And, uh, you know, I, I appreciate our relationship. It's been awesome getting to know you better over the, over the past couple of years, man, and, and, and all the doors you've opened and people you've introduced me to. And uh, I'm looking forward to, to crushing life with you the next, the next several decades and, and, and taking over the world of basketball, man. Future's bright, Kev. We, uh, it really is. We're going we're gonna to do it, man. So let's stick with it. Uh, appreciate you having me on. This has been awesome. Really love awesome, it. Awesome, man. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Yes. No doubt.